The following is a message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. And you may get back up from being seated and go to Children's Church if your parents so desire. Those that remain can turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Ken was gracious and has given me two weeks, so we get to do a little mini-series. Corinthians 15 is a lot to handle in one Sunday, and so we're going to do it in two. And then um, I also get to preach Pentecost Sunday, so uh, looking forward to that, so that's going to be good. But we are looking at the first 28 verses this week. Next week, we will look at verses 35 through 58. And um, we will not be sidetracked by verses 29 and 30. So that's a, that's a whole other sermon that we'll have to do another time. Let me read here, here for you, and you can follow along. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 through 28. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all live, so also in Christ shall shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. 
For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when, he, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Thank you, Father, for this word. Apply it to our hearts today to give us hope and to exhort us to persevere until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Christ is risen. Very good, he is. And we're celebrating that in the weeks to come. We want to remember that. And Paul starts out this passage by reminding us of the gospel. So I want to remind you, saints at Durkee Town, of the gospel. And he states it as, about as succinctly as possibly you could. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There's the gospel right there. That's what we hold fast to, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Do you believe it? <laughs> All right. This, this, this is the linchpin. This is the, this is the I almost want to say the apex of all of this. It's interesting, uh, on uh, God Friday, we, uh, on Fridays in my household, Allison and I and th- three of our daughters uh, have a, a special time together every Friday. And one Friday it's game night, one Friday it's music, movie night. The movie night happened to fall on Good Friday. Um, you know, what kind of movie do you watch on Good Friday? You want to be very careful with sacred things. So we watched um, Case for Christ, right? Case for Christ. Lee Strobel, who was a journalist with the Chicago Tribune, attempting to rebuke Christianity and prove it wrong, found himself chased down by the hound of heaven and coming to faith in Jesus Christ as his, as his, um, as his wife had. And... Um, I gave away the, the story, but that, that was, we knew that was the end anyway. What was interesting is how he got there. And when he begins to want to disprove Christianity, he talks to a Christian um, co-worker who says to him, you need to start at the resurrection because everything is connected to the resurrection. Because that's what Paul says. Paul, that's, that's what Paul is saying here. And so Paul gives us these, um, Paul gives us some proofs. His proofs are, are this, that Jesus appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, that he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. How many of you have been in the company of 500 people or more in the last 30 days? Okay, one, one over here. All right. That's about it, right? I, I, went to New, I went to New York City one time, and I took Abby with me, and I remember as we were walking down the street, I said, Abby, in, the, in these several blocks that we're walking from the subway to the place, the building that we're getting to, you've seen more people than you will probably see the rest of this year. I mean, it's just, you know, 500 people. It's hard to imagine 500 people at one time. 
Um, I mean, I think Argyle Village is only 700 people. So <laughs> you get the village together in one place and, you, and you've got the idea, right? 500 people at one time saw him. And also James and the apostles and then even Paul. Paul says this, this resurrection is, is a fact. But he's getting at something here because there is this statement going around apparently in Corinth that there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, understand, when, when Paul is talking here about resurrection, it's, he's not simply saying, uh, this isn't a Lazarus kind of resurrection, all right? We've got to make sure we understand, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Lazarus died again. His body was not the resurrected body. What Paul is getting at, what he's talking about here is a resurrection after death that's eternal. And, and what was being said was, oh, there's no resurrection. Nobody, no, people don't live after death. The body especially doesn't resurrect. And this is another kind of side, uh, side argument on this. Yeah, the soul may go, but the body is just gone. And, and, and Paul's just going to disprove this whole thing here. We're going to look at it over the next two weeks. But, but he first wants us to be clear about what we're saying if we say there's no resurrection of the body. Because if there's no resurrection of the body, then Jesus was not resurrected, is what his point is. Now think about Jesus' resurrection, uh, about his resurrected body, and why we understand that his resurrected body and Lazarus' resurrected body were not the same. Now they were the same in one sense, right? Jesus could be touched. He let, he let himself be touched. He ate food. He could be seen and so he wanted to be clear, he had a body, and it was physical. But he did something, he did a couple other things that guys like Lazarus, who got resurrected from the dead, didn't do. One of them being that he could move through inanimate objects, right? The disciples are all in a room, the door's locked, and suddenly Jesus is there. He just appears. I was challenging the St. James crowd this morning that you could try it out this afternoon if you wanted. you got a wall in your house, see if you can move through it into a locked room. I was also pointing out that sometimes it seems like our parents were able to do that. <laughs> but that was, and the other thing is, you might remember Jesus is uh, on the road to Emmaus and he's walking along with two disciples and um, stops with them, he eats with them. When he breaks the bread, you remember they recognize him, and the next thing they know is he's gone. So in some way, that body, that new body Jesus had, while very similar to the physical body he had before, was also different in some way. And we're going to get to more of that next week when we look at the second half of Corinthians, but it's important to understand the, the, the argument here is not simply about whether somebody who's dead could come back to life and live for some more time. We're after something eternal here. An eternal body is what is being talked about. And look what he says. If, if Christ uh, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. If Jesus didn't resurrect to an eternal body, then what I'm doing here today is a waste of time. And you, what you're doing here is a waste of time. Because we preach Christ and him crucified and resurrected. That's why he starts out with the gospel here. He died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he came alive or rose again the third day. That's what we're preaching. 
He says, if, if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, you're believing in a dead person, and we're found to be misrepresenting God. Because the testimony of the church has always been that Jesus was raised from the dead. Not only that, but your faith, whatever it might be, is futile, and you are still bound in your sins. Now, this is why Paul's addressing this. This isn't just a sort of side argument, you know, about you know, names and numbers and all that kind of stuff. This is a central argument. There was an undermining happening in the church of people who were saying, ah, you know what, there's no eternal resurrection. You, you don't really get a body resurrected joining with the soul to live forever. But Paul's saying, no, there is. This is important because look what happens. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They are forever apart. For, there's a forever separation and look at this verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Because we're, we're really wasting our time. Paul says if, if Jesus didn't really resurrect, then we should be pitied by people who look at us and go, oh, you're wasting your time. All that, all that stuff you're doing, all that stuff you're believing, it's not going to get you anywhere and you could be having a whole lot better life if you didn't live that way. And in fact, that's what the world tries to do, doesn't it? Because the world doesn't believe in a resurrection of the body. They just live for today. Because what else are you going to live for? But I like this then in verse 20. Paul, Paul's just matter of fact. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. You know what struck me about that, that story of Lee Strobel was that his wife, who had become a believer, and which was the reason he was trying to disprove it, is she, she didn't know he was trying to do this, but she didn't come after her husband with arguments. She didn't try to convince him through reasoning. She was kind of like Paul, like, this is what I believe, because it's true. That's it. And that's what Paul says. Paul just says, the fact is Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, he doesn't go back and recapitulate all of the argument that he already made. He's just going on and making the statement, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's a fact. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Hallelujah. And we're going to look at this section now. We're going to kind of sit right here a little bit because this is where I think our encouragement for hope and our exhortation for perseverance is going to come from. First of all, Paul, Paul uh, partners up, if you will, or pairs up, I should say, the fall and the resurrection. So he goes back into uh, time, into history, in verse 21, and he says, by a man came death. So he's referring back to Genesis when Adam and Eve in the garden were told by God, you can eat of all the fruit in the garden, all the trees in the garden, except one, the, the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat from that tree. And the serpent came in and tempted Eve, and Eve ate of the fruit. She gave it to her husband, and he ate as well. And at that point, death came in, for God said, the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. And they were separated. You remember what happens like right after that? 
God who had been coming every day, walking in the garden with them, spending time in fellowship with them. When he comes that day, what do Adam and Eve do? Hide. Separation, right there, already. They realize something's different in the relationship now. And they run, they hide. They can't stand before holy God. And then the next separation is God sends them out of the garden and he puts an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance and says, nobody comes back in here because here is the tree of life. But now we fast forward to another garden. Did you, did you note that? In the resurrection story, the tomb of Jesus is in a garden. In fact, when Mary Magdalene is, is want, wanting to know where Jesus is, she sees a man, and who does she think he is? The gardener. It's come back to a garden. But in this garden, the angels removed from the entrance and were welcomed in. Come in. In fact, uh, the angels said that. You remember that when they came to the tomb? Come and see. Come and see the place where he was. He's not there anymore. He's, he's resurrected. And Paul calls Jesus the first fruits. And we're going to look at one of the aspects of that next week. And that aspect is that um, first fruits show us what kind of crops will be harvested. So if you go out into a field and you see wheat, you know that that's the crop of the field, right? That's what's going to be harvested. You go and you see grapes hanging on the vine and you know that's going to be a harvest of grapes. So Paul is saying that in one, in one way, Jesus is the first fruits in that he is going to show us what this resurrected body will look like. But we're going to look at more of that next week. This week, we're going to look at another aspect of first fruits and that is that it is proof of a harvest. And in fact, a lot of times you can tell how good the harvest is going to be when you look at the first fruits. Are they good? Are they healthy? This is going to be a good harvest. We can start to bank on it. Build a bigger barn because we're going to have a really good harvest this year. The resurrection of Jesus is intended for us to do that. To say to us, there is a resurrection. We can bank on it. We can live our life clear that there is an eternal life for us. And that's really what Paul is after here in this, when he talks about these first fruits. Um, but each one in his order, Christ is the first fruit, and then we can have this confidence at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now remember, he's talking here about the body. So the spirit has already gone to be with Christ, but at Christ's return, the body is going to be resurrected, going to be joined together. So remember that, that right now, even those who have gone on before us, those who have died already, they're not complete yet. They're not whole yet. Because they're, they don't have their body yet. They're, spirit, they're still just in spirit. At the return of Jesus, their body will be resurrected. And they will be whole as we will be as well. And then look what happens. Then, then comes the end. I forgot to mention it at the beginning, so I'd better mention it now. It might surprise you in my next statement. Um, most of you probably know, but if you don't yet, Marilyn DeSaint uh, went to be with Jesus on Saturday 
at about three in the morning. And um, thinking about this, you know, we're going to see her. We're going to see her again in an eternal body. And here's one of the things I think that Paul is getting at here, because he talks about this. Uh, he talks about this end. When, the, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, what the resurrection of the body says to God's enemies is you lose. You lose. You cannot keep anything that belongs to me, is what God says. You lose. When Marilyn's body resurrects, it's going to say, you lose. When our bodies resurrect, God's going to be saying to his enemies, you lose. Because what's the last great enemy? Verse 26, death. Death. Death death is evil. Death is evil. I was at at Marilyn's some of the time and she was on her deathbed and I went out and I was sitting in front and there were some drinks out there, just, you know, like those kind of drinks you drink when you're trying to stay awake because you can fall asleep. And one of them had, a, a, the, the, the can had a skeleton on it. I thought it was kind of weird. I, I, I just noticed it, and I just, it occurred to me that the world just doesn't understand how evil death is. And the reason is because for the world, death doesn't separate them from the one who loves them and who they love. It's just, things are over. But for us, who have laid hold of Jesus Christ, and who are loved by God, death is this separation from what he intended us to be, body and soul together. It's the last great enemy. But the great truth that Paul's putting out here is that it's not gonna always be that way. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. In that sentence, Paul is assuring us that that will happen. And the proof of that or the expression of that is all of the bodies that are buried in the ground right now rising up. You lose death. You lose. Amen. God wins. And God is then all in all. Oh, saints at Turkey Town, we have great hope. Great hope of eternal life with an eternal body. Great hope of victory because Jesus Christ has resurrected. Our faith is not in vain. Hallelujah. I live with confident hope. I live with confident hope that I will see Jack again in a body. Teresa and Lynn and Bonnie, you live with hope that you're going to see Mary again in a body, right? And Buzz. Willard and Bev, I didn't know if you were going to be here, but I was thinking of you. You're going to see your son again in a body. A perfect body. Wendy, Wendy's not here, but Wendy's going to see her husband, Bob. Karen, your sister, Kimberly, in a perfect body. Man, that should give us hope. 
every one of us who has lost a loved one in Christ have the confidence that we will see them again in an eternal body because Jesus Christ has risen. And then the great wonder of wonders and miracle of miracles is that each of us is going to receive an eternal body. And one of the purposes of that eternal body is to say to death, you lose. You cannot win. You cannot win. And then God will be all in all. So let's hold fast, as Paul says at the beginning, to this word that is preached, to this gospel. Don't let go of it now when things might look tough. Don't let go of it now when you wonder what's going on in the world or when people around are dying. Don't let go of it now. Hold fast to it. It is our hope, our resurrected Lord and our Savior, for he is risen and we will rise in like manner. Father, thank you. I'm so glad you led the Apostle Paul to write these things. That you thought it important enough to tell us that we can have hope because Jesus resurrected with an eternal body. And that, Father, you put these words there to exhort us to persevere when it gets hard, when we struggle. When we, when we think it'd be a whole lot easier if we could just live life the way we wanted and be done with it. This exhorts us to persevere, to hold on, to believe you win. You have the final victory. And you will vindicate. And you will do so through resurrecting our bodies. Thank you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, who is risen indeed. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.